The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. And I think we're on. So good morning. My name is Maria. And um, is there someone? Oh, my goodness. That's quite loud. Um, uh, over on the left-hand side, see the white button, the white lever? Up on top, up on top, on the, that big panel, all those buttons. There's a white lever on the far left, far left, the other left, left. Oh, it's your, my her left, right. your right, I'm sorry. Your right, your left. Yes, okay, so there's a white lever down at the bottom. Uh, no, no, it's a further slide, to the right. It's a slider. Slider, yes, okay, thank right. you. We need to just lower that just a little bit if we can. Yeah, That's the one, thank you. Yeah, it's, it's a, it's more of a slider. It is a slider. <laughs> thank you. That's a little, a little more. Great. Thank you very much. Sorry for the confusion. Um, this is perfect because this morning we're going to talk about effort. <laughs> and. Um, You know, effort is, effort is the thing that, that actually makes things happen. Effort is that kind of muddy, go-do-it part. The part where we have to really generate the energy to make something happen. Um, and it seems like it's not fun. You know, it's not nearly as much fun as having a great inspiration. But inspiration in the, in the absence of that energy that pushes it along is empty. So, so at every moment, we choose whether to embrace wholesomeness or unwholesomeness. Every moment. My goodness, it sounds exhausting. Every moment, we choose whether to embrace wholesomeness or unwholesomeness. It implies a certain amount of responsibility, awareness. First of all, awareness. We have to know whether something's wholesome or unwholesome. Goodness, I don't know what's causing that noise. (laughs) Um, Part of the responsibility is intention or action. Right? Intention and action. There's the intention of the action. There's the action itself. And there's a certain amount of reflection around effort. You know, you have to actually think about it. This morning, um, I woke up, and it took me effort to get here. Now, there was never any question that I was going to come here. But my goodness, I actually woke up before the alarm, and I got up, and then I went back to bed, and then I said, oh, I don't want to go this morning, I don't want to get up, I'm really tired. There was never any question that I was going to come. But was I creating a lot of energy around, oh, this is hard, oh, and I checked the weather, which is something you do out there, because I live in West Marin, and it's been foggy and drizzly and cold. And I know that it's not that way everywhere. 
but it is there. And so I have to check the weather. And there was a, a thunderstorm. There was a, actually a, a warning about a thunderstorm just off the coast, south of Bolinas, moving north at 45 miles an hour, and there was going to be half-inch hail. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, what am I going to do about that? You know, I, I just don't know about this noise here this morning. I apologize, but I can't seem to. I, I have to stop gesturing. <laughs> okay. So now I'm thinking about the thunderstorm, and I'm thinking, oh, the drive is going to be terrible, and you know, there's going to be hail, and that, that stretch of 101, and all these things. But then it took a lot of effort to overcome. I repeat, there was never any question that I was going to come. But was I creating a lot of misery in the meantime around how much effort it took to get here? So so I'm going to read you something from uh, the the long discourses of the Buddha. And uh, this is uh, from the Mahasatipana Sutta, which is just a longer version of the Satipana Sutta, which is about the foundations of mindfulness. And this is one of the verses that's not in the shorter version. And what, monks, is right effort? Here, monks, a monk rouses his will, makes an effort, stirs up energy, exerts his mind, and strives to prevent the arising of unarisen, evil, unwholesome mental states. He rouses his will, makes an effort, stirs up energy, exerts his mind, and strives to overcome evil, unwholesome mental states that have arisen. He rouses his will, makes an effort, stirs up energy, exerts his mind, and strives to produce unarisen, wholesome mental states. He rouses his will, makes an effort, stirs up energy, exerts his mind, and strives to maintain wholesome mental states that have arisen, not to let them fade away, to bring them to greater growth, to the full perfection of development. This is called right effort. I wanted to read this to you because... The, the, part, the part that often is just, they give you a little dot, 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 don't repeat this part when you're reading the Sutta. I read it because this is, this is where the energy comes from. That rouses his will, makes an effort, stirs up energy, exerts his mind, and strives. Rouses his energy, exerts his mind. All of these things are part of effort. Now, buried in there is you know, a list of four things, which is avoiding negative thoughts or, or negative actions, wholesome, creating, creating wholesome mental states, avoiding unwholesome mental states, decreasing unwholesome mental states, maintaining wholesome mental states, you know, four things. But really, it's about that energy, that rousing oneself, bringing up the will, stirring up the mind, applying the mind. You know, we can have all the intentions in the world, 
in the absence in the absence of effort they are empty and we don't think a lot about effort because frankly it sounds like a lot of work we don't pay much attention to effort you know it's it's not very sexy effort it's just but buried in those four things there is this a different message about maintaining one one quarter of it is just maintaining positive mental states wholesome mental states oh in there is activity that isn't work it takes effort it takes rousing of one's energy but you know we have energy we actually have energy <coughs> that time i remembered to turn off the microphone okay so there's another piece i want to read to you from here and this piece is about this one is from the sigalaka sutta which is advice to lay people that's us <laughs> you know sometimes it seems like the buddha only talked about what the monks were doing and sometimes it's a little hard to relate to that so in this there is a a person sigalaka the householder's son and he's doing a morning ritual and he's bowing to the six directions and the buddha says to him so why are you doing this and he says well my father told me i should do this and so to honor my father i do this ritual every morning and the buddha says but householder son that is not the right way to pay homage to the six directions according to our discipline Oh, he's not doing it right. Well, Lord, how should one pay homage to the six directions according to this discipline? It would be good if the blessed Lord were to teach me the proper way to pay homage. Then listen carefully and pay attention, and I will speak. Yes, Lord. Now, there are many pages here. I'm not going to read you the whole thing because it does go on. But I'm going to tell you what what the the so young householder it is by abandoning the four defilements of of action by not doing evil and then later he says what are the four defilements of action that are abandoned taking life is one taking what is not given is one sexual misconduct is one lying speech is one these are the four defilements of action that he should abandon and then he goes on and says one should not waste one should avoid the six ways of wasting one's substance what does that mean addiction to strong drink and sloth producing drugs is one way of wasting one's substances haunting the streets at unfitting times attending fairs being addicted to gambling keeping bad company habitual idleness Okay. Then he goes on. Let's see. Um I'm going to skip over all those definitions. We know what idleness are. 
There are four types who can be seen as foes in friendly guise. These are to be avoided. The man who is all take is one. The great talker is one. The flatterer is one. And the fellow spendthrift, spendthrift is one. Okay, then we go on. Let's see. There are four types who can be seen to be loyal friends. The friend who is a helper is one. The friend who is the same in happy and unhappy times. The friend who points out what is good for you is one. And the friend who is sympathetic is one. These are to be cultivated. And then the teacher talks about how does one protect the six directions? Remember, there was this ritual on the fixed six directions. These six things are to be regarded as the six directions. The east denotes mother and father. The south denotes teachers. The west denotes wife and children. The north denotes friends and companions. The nadir denotes servants, workers, and helpers. The zenith denotes ascetics and brahmins. There are five ways in which a son should minister to his mother and father as the eastern direction. He should think, having been supported by them, I will support them. I will perform their duties for them. I will keep up the family tradition. I will be worthy of my heritage. After my parents' death, I will distribute gifts on their behalf. And there are five ways in which the parents, so ministered by their son as the eastern direction, will reciprocate. They will restrain him from evil, support him in doing good, teach him some skill, find him a suitable wife, and in due time, hand over his inheritance to him. In this way, the eastern direction is covered, making it at peace and free from fear. Okay, you get the idea. What the Buddha says is, you're wasting your time doing that ritual every morning. What you need is to apply yourself to wholesome acts and wholesome thoughts. Associate yourself with wholesome people. This is how you honor the six directions. He says, it isn't so much performing the the ritual, it's what you bring to this moment, this existence, this life. This is the the advice to lay people. And I say this because what I find from this, the reason I, I read you parts of this, is what I see from that is a kind of encouragement for me. An encouragement for choosing the wholesome over the unwholesome. I don't have to be a certain way and do a certain thing. I don't, have to, I don't have to do certain rituals every day. I don't have to bow to the image of the Buddha. What I have to do is choose the wholesome over the unwholesome in every moment. Now, In the absence of that, what happens is we're taken over by our usual minds, habits, whatever they are. Last week, if you were here, we talked a bit about intention and the value of intention as a guide, a place that we can look to. Is this action consistent with my intention? Well, also part of that is effort. You know, we did this little exercise about 
noticing the, the intent to move our hands. And there was a moment where we could feel the energy of that movement. But also, what we didn't talk about was the effort part of it. We could have all the intention in the world. We could have the moment of executing the intention. But if we don't actually execute it, it doesn't happen. That last bit of energy effort is what makes it all happen. If we don't have any intentions and we don't make any particular effort, we are living reactive lives. I like this. I want this. (gasps) I grab this. I don't like this. I don't want this. This is our default. And it's totally reactive. We are giving up the opportunity to choose wholesome over unwholesome because we're not even thinking about it. It's not there. We are simply reacting. So if we accept that having uh, an intention is a good thing, that it is a guide, an assistant to living a wholesome life, a life that is free of suffering, then what comes along with that is effort. Effort. When we uh, watch our minds, when we're aware of what's going on, so that we can make a choice between wholesome and unwholesome, we notice we have a lot of unwholesome thoughts. We have wholesome thoughts. We pay a lot more attention to the unwholesome ones depending on what our intention is. So if I have the intention to be a better person, then every unwholesome thought that arises is a failure. Wow, I don't even have to act. Just because a thought comes into my mind, I am condemning myself. Just because I want to go back to bed this morning, I'm not living up to my commitments We start creating all kinds of busy stuff around what we're doing. We slide into familiar stories, familiar habits, because it's easy and it doesn't take much effort. It doesn't take much effort. So uh, for a few years, I used to write a lot of poetry. And um, there are a few things I learned about that process. So this is not about how to write a good poem. This was about my process. So uh, first of all, it's a practice. The more I wrote, the better the poems were. I just got better at it. There There was a certain effect of the diligence, the just keeping at it. Oh, that worked. That didn't work. Oh, oh, I learned something about that. You know, the rhythm works better this way. So the more you do it, the better you are at it. The poems were better when I didn't try to parse them out in advance, you know, where I didn't have a a plan. I'm going to talk about this, and this is going to be my progression, you know, an outline like a declarative paper or something. Every time I started out that way, the poems were awful, really awful. So I learned 
that easy flow was important, that if I was struggling with it too much, I should just let it go. Because it was going to, I was going to see the effects in the writing of that twisting and that shaping and that wanting it to, it was all contracted. Okay, so easy flow was important. Turned out curiosity was extremely important. What is this poem going to turn into? The best things that I wrote were when I started writing, I wrote the first line without knowing what the poem was going to be about. And sometimes I didn't know what the poem was about until the last line. It really helped to just be curious about what was going to happen. So the flip side of that, not having too much of a plan, was being open to whatever's going to come up. What's going to show up? What's what's going to show up here? I just let it happen. Wow, that was interesting. I didn't know I was thinking that. Wow. And finally, I had to let go of doing it just right. Oh, what's the right word here? This word, you know, that, I need a purple word. I need, I need a word with peas in it. I need, you know, too much time spent trying to make it exactly right ruined the poem, really ruined it. If I could just let it, let it go, just let it go, let it happen, I could go back and clean it up after it was already there. I could make it prettier later. I could make it more elegant later. But actually just allowing it to be turned out to be the best part of the creative process. I loved writing poems. Once I gave myself freedom to just let them be what they were, it was great. You know, I, I had this job that was very analytical and high pressure and tense and all of that stuff. And then I could go home and I could just write this poem and just sort of let go of all of the plans for how it had to be. It was wonderful. You know, effort is like this. Exerting the effort toward wholesome versus unwholesome living has all of these same features. Diligence. You just keep going. You just keep doing it. You just keep doing it. And it becomes more natural. It it becomes more a part of how you are in the world. That's, what, that's part of effort. <coughs> you know, when you, uh, whatever it is that you want to become good at, fly fishing, tying flies. Let's take fly, trying, whew, tying flies. You know, there's some things you have to be good at, like you have to be able to work under a microscope <laughs> or, a, you know, a, some sort of, a device that makes it bigger for you, and you have to be able to wrap things, and you have to have a, an idea of what is going to make those little tiny feathers look like something. I mean, there's, there's a skill to it. And the first ones are awful, and they, they're terrible. They don't really work. <laughs> and then you find what makes a fly fly, and you say, oh, i got to have more of that, and I want, it, I want it to be this color, and I want it to be this. You just get better. Anything that you invest in the more diligence you put to it, you just get better. You watch a little kid learning to walk, and all he does is land on his face. I've got a one-year-old grandson that's been walking for a few months, 
And he, he's in such a hurry, he runs. He just runs. And he, you know, he's got these little, um, little tennis shoes, they had little grips, which is great, so his feet don't fly out from under him. They come to a stop, and his body is still going. And I mean, he, he's face plants all the time. And he jumps up, and he does it again. He is such a model of effort. I'm amazed how great his diligence, his willingness to just start over again, his total patience with the possibility that he's going to land right on his nose, which he does a lot. And there he is, you know. I'm thinking, wow. Where does he get that determination, that diligence? And part of it is, he just wants to see what's going to happen next. Little kids are incredibly curious. What's going to happen? Wow. And that gives them energy, which translates into effort, curiosity. So how do we make this work for us? How do we make it, how do we encourage ourselves? How do we find the energy to lead the life we'd like to lead that is free of suffering? How do we keep effort from becoming a source of suffering? Huh? Oh, I have to do this. I, I, I gotta do this, I'm gonna do this. You know, and, So, so how do we do that? First of all, we remind ourselves of our priorities over and over again. We remind ourselves, this is a priority for me. And you become unwilling to let any moment go by without bringing up mindfulness and wisdom, awareness and reflection. I'm aware of how I am now. This, this, is, this seems like the thing to do. I, I'm aware. I, have, uh, I notice unwholesome thoughts. I notice wholesome thoughts, skillful thoughts, unskillful thoughts. I notice I have this, I just want to go back to bed. And, and I say, oh, I see that. That's a pretty unskillful thought. <laughs> I get it. Uh-huh but I choose to just see it and let it go. I, I choose to let it go. I see it for what it is, which is a sort of, um, this is not what I want. I don't want this. There's aversion here. I see the aversion. It doesn't make me a bad person. I don't judge myself because I want to go back to bed. First of all, I know there is no chance I'm not going to come down here this morning, right? So, so there's a certain confidence in the back of my head. I know that this intention not to give up on my commitments is very strong because I'm used to looking at it. I know this. I see this. I know that when I make a commitment, it is extremely hard for me not to meet that commitment, Extremely hard. And we can get into all the sub-reasons for that. But that's, that's a piece of confidence I have from being aware of that, being aware of the moment. I know this about me. There's no way I'm not going to go. 
It helps me then when I have an unskillful thought that is not consistent with that to say, ha, 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 too bad, you lose. Because I have been used to looking at it. This is the virtue of mindfulness as a support for your effort. When you see how your mind works, you can use it. You can use it. So we become unwilling to let a moment go by without bringing up mindfulness and wisdom. If you fail, you apply patience. Oh, there goes my mind. It's not here. I'm sitting. It's gone. Oh, well, back. You just come back. That's, it takes effort, but you don't, you don't give up. You patiently make the effort to be mindful again. You just start over. Like my grandson, you get up and you run again. <laughs> you just keep doing it. You will hear the message, oh, I'll never be good at this, I can't do this, I'm really a bad person. And we have these messages. Don't believe it. <laughs> oh, that thought again. Let it go. You don't have to believe everything you think. You can say, is this consistent with my intention in this moment? No. Hmm. Yeah, but you know that guy really, I'm so mad at that guy. I, I have, you know, I don't have to tell myself this. I'm talking about effort this morning because it's been on my mind. Because there are things in my life I want to do that I'm not doing. And I know it just takes a little effort. So I've been asking myself, what is it? Why are you not doing this? This is something you want. This is something that's good, you know. And I'll say, oh, but I've been sick. I've been sick. You know, I could cough for you. You know I've been sick. And so I've been asking myself, what's, what is the trigger? What's going on here that I am not choosing to exert effort? Because I know, looking at it, that's all it takes is the effort. Effort is an expenditure of energy to accomplish some objective. Forcing yourself to do something is actually not skillful. To just, you know, the stoic, I'm going to do this no matter what. There has to be a reason that you're doing it. There has to be a source of inspiration, a source of curiosity, uh, a compliance with an intention. It really has to be more than just determination. Determination is important to effort, but it is not enough. There really has to be this inspiration, this breathing life into your intention that is part of effort. And when you see that that's not there, then you say, ah, what's it going to take to inspire me? 
you know, sometimes if you, you um, maybe you have an intention to go out and do a three-mile hike twice a week, and you just say, oh, I don't want to do that. The day comes, you don't want to do that. You say, well, you know, I said I was going to do this, I'm going to do this. And you set out, and you discover you actually have energy. Once you get past that initial barrier, you actually have the energy to do that three-mile walk. There is a, uh, a concept of inertia. You know, there's this, there's this a kind of activation energy. You have to get over the hump. And then once you get over the hump, then you're moving. And then it actually takes energy to stop it. Our effort toward wholesomeness and the, the rejection of unwholesomeness is just like this. There's, there's a certain resistance to getting this, the thing started. It looks so massive. It seems like so much work. Part of the practice, part of the, the return on the effort of practice is that we start to see that it isn't so awful once we start. It actually doesn't hurt. It actually is not hard. But that getting over that resistance, that part is hard. So it turns out that some of the issues we have with effort have to do with, you know, the five hindrances. You know, I want it this way. I don't want it this way. I'm restless, uh, sloth and torpor, and doubt. These are the five hindrances. And these hindrances really amount to everything we do. All our, our actions, all of our intentions. It has to do with meditation. It has to do with developing an exercise program. It has, has to do with learning how to write or tie flies. We have this need to recognize what it takes to get over that first hump that gets us going, that, that rewards us when we start seeing the reward of it. Then it becomes not so effortful. And we decide, let's say, I decide I really need this. I really want this thing, and I really need this, and I'm going to get this thing. And then I, then I say, well, I'm going to wait just a little while. And all of a sudden, I notice that that wanting has, is less. It's not as strong as it was, that wanting. And I say, huh, it was pretty easy. And then I get cocky, and then, you know, the next thing happens. The secret is to be aware of what's happening, to pay attention, to be mindful, to be in a moment of desire or craving and know it's a moment of desire and craving. And still recognize that you can choose. There's a struggle. Where does the energy go? Does it go to rationalization, justification, uh, renunciation, I'm going to let go of this. What happens then? Guilt, 
assuming you gave in to the desire. Relief, comfort, confidence. Is there a space? Reflect on the action and the outcome. See if suffering arises. Is there suffering? Resolve not to do it anymore. Is there non-suffering? I'm going to do that again. Wow, that was pretty neat. So, so what do we do when unwholesome acts come up? How do we deal with them? There are a few things we can do. We can ignore it. Sometimes that works. You know, um, that, that's one of the strategies when you're sitting. You know, my knee hurts. I don't know what to do about it. And, and I just ignore it. That's one strategy. You can divert the mind to something else. This, this works sometimes when you want something. Not, not only when you, know, you, you want to deal with pain, then one way to deal with pain is to distract yourself. You can distract yourself when you're in the midst of wanting, too. You can say, okay, if I still want it after five minutes of really paying attention to here, I'll come back and revisit it. You know, just divert the mind to something else. So Sayada Utejaniya says, avoiding difficult situations or running away from them usually does not take much skill or effort. But doing so prevents you from testing your own limits and from growing. The ability to face difficulties can be crucial for your growth. However, if you're faced with a situation in which the difficulties are simply overwhelming, you should step back for the time being and wait until you've built up enough strength to deal with it skillfully. So he's saying, don't always just run away from what you see. Notice it. Try to be there with it. Test it. Don't just run away. And if it looks like it's just too much, step back. The Buddha said, right effort is like tuning the strings of a lute. Too tight, not good. Too loose, also not good. In order to make beautiful music, you have to tune it just right. Effort is like that. We can't just say, I'm going to overcome everything. I'm just going to push. I'm just... That kind of pushing is not useful. The pushing that says, oh, I'm too tired, is also not useful. Somewhere in between is the energy that allows you to meet your intentions and to, and to proceed with them. Sometimes it helps to replace the hindrance by its option. Opposite. So, so if you find yourself angry, you can do loving kindness. Now, I don't particularly like this method of dealing with anger because um, it's a kind of aversion. I don't like that, so I'm going to do something else. So, so I would use that carefully, but I have used it when I found myself just unbelievably angry. I did metta because I needed to soften my heart. It wasn't to push it away. It was to do something that needed to happen. I needed to soften my heart. Different intention, same action. Okay. Another thing you can do is reflect on the fact that every hindrance 
arises from a great number of causes and conditions and is in flux. This moment is in flux. It doesn't have to stay this way. Hallelujah. Never assume that just because I feel this way right now that the next moment is going to be identical to it because it won't be. It won't be. And finally, the Buddha says, with clenched teeth, pressing the tongue against the upper palate, apply all your energy to overcome it. So, you know, if you're about to pick up a gun, don't. Clench your teeth and don't. This is called suppression. Joseph Goldstein says sometimes he imagines when he can't get rid of some unwholesome thought that is just absorbing him, he, he imagines shooting those thoughts down. He calls this cowboy dharma. I kind of like that word, cowboy dharma. Shoot down those thoughts. You know, it, you can't quite just let go of them, but maybe you can just shoot them. <laughs> Use that negative energy in a positive way. And then there is deep attention. Deep attention. In the presence of wholesome thoughts, in the presence of unwholesome thoughts, ask yourself, what else is here? What else is here? So maybe I notice tension. Okay, I'm tense. I'm tense. So there was something going on last night for me in the midst of getting ready for dinner. And I was, I was having computer problems and I was uh, trying to finish up this talk and I was trying to think about how I was going to say certain things. And then, there were, and then my husband kept asking me questions about did I want to do this for dinner or did I want to do that for dinner? And, and I found myself going... Because there was so much going on that I couldn't sort it all. And... Um, I did that, what else is here? And I realized I was just tired. The truth was I was tired. All of this other stuff was symptomatic of the fact that I was tired. And as soon as I saw that I was tired, I stopped putting meaning on all of those other irritants. I stopped making this a big conspiracy. And I said, oh, I'm tired. Oh. It took the energy out of that it didn't take so much effort not to snarl at my husband because it just didn't have anything to do with him. I was just tired. And once I could see that tiredness, it didn't take effort. What took effort was being willing to, be, to ask the question, what else is here? That effort was important. It took, it took away the effort of fighting off the ill will. I didn't have to do that anymore because that dissipated. So there was a wonderful story um, that David White tells. He's a poet, an Irish poet, and he's around here, so you may have heard of him. And he had a number of conversations with David Stendhal Rast, who is a Christian monk who also practices Buddhism. And David said, David Stendhal Ross said to David White, who was explaining how tired he was all the time, 
he said, the antidote to exhaustion is wholeheartedness. You're so exhausted because you can't be wholehearted at what you're doing because your real conversation with life is through poetry. At the time, he was trying to do something else. So Stendhal Ross said to him, the antidote to exhaustion is wholeheartedness. Wow, that's an interesting... That's, that, to me, is inspiring. You're so exhausted because you can't be wholehearted at what you're doing. This is a clue. Look for what brings you wholeheartedness because that is a source of energy for your effort. What brings you wholeheartedness? Arouse wholesome states not yet arisen. How do I do that? I'm going to read you a poem. See if I can find it. The exact one I want to read. Not that one. This is bad when I have too many. No. Oh, it's the one I put here. Why I Wake Early. This is a poem by uh, Mary Oliver. Hello, sun in my face. Hello, you who made the morning and spread it over the fields and into the faces of the tulips and the nodding morning glories and into the windows of even the miserable and the crotchety. Best preacher that ever was, dear star that just happens to be where you are in the universe to keep us from ever darkness, to ease us with warm touching, to hold us in the great hands of light. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Watch now how I start the day in happiness, in kindness. Hello, sun in my face. Hello, you who make the morning and spread it over the fields and into the faces of the tulips and in the nodding morning glories and into the windows of even the miserable and the crotchety. Best preacher that ever was, dear star that just happens to be where you are in the universe, to keep us from ever darkness, to ease us with warm touching, to hold us in the great hands of light. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Watch now how I start the day in happiness and kindness. Go ahead and do something nice for yourself that makes you full of kindness and happiness and openness and see it and say, ah, because it conditions the next moment and it makes the effort for the next moment easier. It conditions you to be with the wholesome. Go ahead and practice that. It isn't about being a better person. You don't have to be who you're not. In fact, I hope you don't. But you can create moments and say, ah, that aren't about making you a better person, that aren't about criticizing what you've done wrong, that aren't about getting rid of unwholesome thoughts. It's about nurturing and maintaining wholesome thoughts. Every morning I get up, I happen to live in a really beautiful place. I look outside at the trees and the hills, and it sets my mind. I may have been having a dream that wakes me up snarly, but I look outside and I look at that. So this morning after I went back to bed, I made myself get back up and I looked outside. 
I just looked at it and enjoyed it and enjoyed the freedom of enjoying some moment. It reinforces, it practices wholesomeness. So, don't get lost in the details of practice. Don't spend all your time looking for opportunities to develop. Be sure that you gather with like-minded friends. What do you bring around you? Who do you bring around you? Who do you associate with? How do you live your life? What are the conditions you set for your life? Without strong mindfulness, your mind quickly reverts to old habits. Thus, you must diligently repeat your efforts to maintain the wholesome thinking that will make you happy. May you all be happy. Thank you. So, are there any comments, suggestions? Are you all feeling effortful, (laughs) inspired to go out and be, see your source of effort? Yes, please use the microphone. You push the button, and you'll see a green light. Uh, First of all, I want to thank you for repeating the poem. So often a poem is read, and I'll get part of it, but I don't get the whole. And so I'm, I just always feel so good. And thank you. When you're welcome. You're doing that. My question is about um, effort relative to the grieving process. Mm-hmm. That I lost uh, my mother in May, and uh, boy, I have gone through a couple of months that I seem to just be coming out of where I just hardly get off the couch to do anything. And so, you know, I have a concern that I'm going to that I'm going to get stuck there. Although I know that there, grief has a beginning and a middle and an end if you let it flow through you, but still, it it feels confusing and frightening. It is confusing and frightening. The first, the first thing I say to you is uh, to honor your grief. You don't need to wallow in it, but you need to honor it. You need to see it and say, I'm grieving. Uh, the fact that you have... Uh, you have a desire to not get lost in your grief, to have it take over your life. This seems clear from what you've said. Tells me that you have an intention that you can work with and that your intention is both to not suppress your grief nor to allow it to take over your life. It isn't independent of you. It isn't a thing in the middle of the room. It's part of who you are right now. 
So I would recommend trying to find a source of inspiration, something that speaks to another part of you that is not uh, so much an antidote as an also. This also is true. So for example, it's true that you are here this morning, you're not on your couch. And you can say, oh, that was okay. That was okay. It doesn't have to be any more than that. It is also acknowledging when you are not grieving. That is, in order to honor grief, you do not have to become it. It's part, it's here. And also this is here. And the, it will shift over time. And sometimes this is, this, uh, what, what's in your left hand is, is greater, and sometimes what's in your right hand is greater. It doesn't denigrate either one of them for this to be true. Um, if I have, I have uh, three books here. I have The Long Discourses of the Buddha. It's a hardback book, and it's heavy, and it's, it's a tome, you know, and it's, it's weighty in many ways. And I have uh, this book, which is a book of Mary Oliver's poems, and it's also hardback, and it's, it's considerably smaller and a lot lighter, uh, and it's delightful. Also wise, but delightful. And then I have this other little book that is um, called Don't Look Down on the Defilements, They Will Laugh at You by Tejania. And it's a paperback, and it, you can see it's really tiny. It's very lightweight. It is also um, uh, full of wisdom. At certain times, each of these books has been extremely valuable to me. And I don't judge one better than the other. They are skillful at different times. So if you can remember that, then you don't need to worry about grief. Don't worry about grief. It's here. And also this is here. And be sure you notice this. Be sure you notice when you enjoy a cup of tea. Just go ahead and notice it. There's a kind of gentleness that allows you to not allow grief to be, for you to become grief. You don't need to identify with it. So some days you're just tired. And some days you just have to kind of punch through it. Okay, here it is. I'm going to go make myself some tea. Not a big thing. But something that acknowledges that part of you that is not that. Is that helpful? And I can recognize uh, some things that I've started to do that I think are reflected in what you're saying. Um, last week, I started uh, listening to audio dharmas, mm-hmm. and lots of them. I and that that was very helpful. It, it felt. Well, I was putting another person there with me while I was doing that in a certain mm-hmm. way, mm-hmm. and 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 
getting some perspective. And now this week I've been thinking the more I can come here and surround myself with people that, you know, I can feel this support to have the experience I'm having and also have perspective. Um, that, that's helpful. Anyway, thank Good. you. Good. So I want to order, honor the time. It's uh, after 11, so I can stay a few minutes if somebody wishes, but you're free. <laughs> thank you. Bye-bye.